You grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the second letter of John. Uh, that's not the Gospel of John that you would find at the beginning of the New Testament. It's, it's the second letter of John that you'll find at the very back of your Bible, just before Jude and Revelation. Uh, if you'd like to hold the physical Bible and become more familiar with Holy Scripture, there's uh, many Bibles in the back of the room that you could grab and utilize. And always encourage you to bring your Bibles. We, want to, as shepherds, help equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry, and uh, that you would fall more in love with God's good word for us. Um, thankful for uh, the opportunity at hand to, to pause, to, to turn off the noise of our lives, all the things calling for our attention, the worries of the temporary world to focus on the good, eternal truths of God. Uh, I've titled today's sermon, Watch Yourselves, for obvious reasons, as you'll see in our passage today. Look with me at 2 John, verse 7 and 8. John continues, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Here in verse 7 and 8, John turns to inform his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ that he's writing to about those that he calls deceivers and antichrist. The the word deceivers here is the plural word planos in the Greek. it means a wanderer. They have, these have found a way to wander from the truth of God. They don't only wander themselves, but they lead others in their wandering from the truth, which is where the emphasis is on their deception, on their deceiving. Paul calls such people false brethren. 2 Corinthians 11, Galatians chapter 2, Jude describes them as wandering stars headed for the black darkness of eternal judgment, Jude 13. He also refers to them as antichrists. What is an antichrist? An antichrist is an individual who is an adversary to Christ, against him, or who falsely claims to be the Christ. Both apply. Uh, The word anti in front of a name or title means that person is against something or they are trying to claim that they are that very thing. Uh, The simple reality is that there is little difference to the offense of a false Christ or someone who is against Christ, for both are opposed to the true Christ who is worthy to be praised. While Jesus and the apostles talk about the Antichrist, Matthew 24, Mark 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 12 and 13, as well as others who willingly stand against God and his people, you might be surprised to know, if you haven't heard me say it in our time in the first letter, the term Antichrist is only used by John in his letters. While there is surely reference within Scripture to an individual that serves Satan's corrupt and evil agenda who will come against Christ in the last days, 
what John is referencing in his letter are forerunners of the Antichrist who have already come to try to confuse, deceive, and draw away disciples. These are people who are sinfully corrupt. They, they do not speak the truth. They speak lies. These are people who are against Christ and His supreme ways. As they try to influence their own agendas upon others and the church. Jesus is clear in Matthew 12.30, Whoever is not with me is against me. What must be clearly understood is you either trust Jesus and obey Jesus and belong to Jesus, or you are against Jesus. There is no middle ground. Understand with me that to be anti-Christ You just have to be dead in sin and full of deception, which is true of all who are not yet saved. We in our flesh like to make ourselves or feel about ourselves more positive than we are. And the truths of Holy Scripture must correct our futile thinking. These prove to be active in their deception in the way that they're exposed for their heresy and being blatantly against Christ. I ask you today, who are listening, visiting, maybe you've been in these seats for many years and yet still don't belong to Christ Do you belong to him? Or are you against him or anti him? You might think, well, I really don't have a problem with him. I think positively of Jesus and his church. Maybe you're thinking, that's why I'm here. But if you have not confessed your sin to die to yourself, Trust your life in faith to Christ. You are anti-Christ. You are outside of faith. You still are Lord of your own life. It is the deceivers and those who are anti-Christ who become especially harmful when they infiltrate the local church. Which is why the New Testament is full of warnings against such people. My question is, are we taking these individuals as seriously as we should? Especially if God is so persistent to warn us again and again in Holy Scripture about these who deceive, even though they seem nice and friendly, even claim to love God. I know a lot of Christians that are content to just remain somewhat naive to God's truths and just say, I'm just going to kind of play nice with everyone. But what we have to understand is when you play with or snuggle up to a snake or a wolf, you're going to get bit. 
So there is a caution. There's a warning. There's a watching we're going to get to. Right? We are thankful for those that are seemingly showing interest in the truths of God. Who, who are leaning in to understand the gospel. Right? We pray for lost individuals all the time. We just need to see clearly, rightly, ongoingly, these who are not yet belonging to Christ are enemies of Christ. By their current standing, until they prove to be of the elect by saving faith. We don't know until that faith goes to work. So we pray for these individuals, but church, we must not grow soft and cuddly to start to treat them like the church when they're not. Those who deceive, those who look to spout heresy, what we have to understand, the the power of their deception is in the fact that it's close to the truth. It's in the fact that they are conniving, that they are slick. They, they seem like really neat people. And the warnings in Scripture are strong. Consider with me uh, Paul's words, Acts 20, 29 and 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise up men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So at first we read fierce wolves, and you think, well, fierce wolves start to storm the gate, storm the house. We're ready for a fierce wolf that's got gnarly teeth and drooling and like, right? Rabid dog. Like, okay, that's scary. But, but notice the clarity. From our own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Because the best wolves are in sheep's clothing. Listen to Paul's warning to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1-3. The Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insecurity of liars insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In John's first letter, he pleaded the same church. 1 John chapter 4, 1-3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. If you remember my teaching on this passage, this reference to spirits is just other individuals. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There is that similar language we see in our verse today. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Speaking the truths of God as revealed by God, not heresy that's against God's truths. 
those who rightly hold up the doctrines of God. Are from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. The reality is everywhere we walk and talk God's truths in this fallen rock is going to have Satan's cronies trying to upset the testimony of the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to know that, church. These wanderers, these antichrists, are the ones who pervert and twist and manipulate and tease the flesh in an effort to gain followers towards their views. Not only are these deceivers present in your life, church, and I pray that you are growingly aware of who they are and how they're at work, but they're present in your kids' lives, parents. Parents, are you aware of the deceivers, the voices, the influences that your kids are in tune with? Don't be fooled just because their friends or their classmates might be nice kids. The most dangerous wolves dressed like sheep. To gain trust, to access our most precious family. The most destructive kids in most of our lives, if you think back on your own days, growing up, are the kids that did not get fully vetted, known, walked with, because they were thought to have been nice kids. I, I grew up in a pretty strict household. And, and it was the uniqueness of the lack of vetting of my friends where most of my greatest temptation and sin and fallout came from. Church deceivers come in all shapes and sizes. I tried to warn you for years that just because a person calls themselves or a group bears the name Christian, or just because an author or speaker used to say good things, or just because they're singing about Jesus, does it make them trustworthy? The best deception, the best deception will be just one degree off It will look really, really good. And then it will be false to the slightest degree, but to the most detrimental degree. Making it, therefore, another gospel, another reality, entirely. Paul warns of this with strong words in Galatians chapter 1, 6-9. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even if we 
or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Church, hear Paul's words here. The the greatest deception of Satan is to just slightly distort the gospel and his most effective deceivers are not scary, hairy bad guys. They're, they look like angels and preachers and shepherds and caregivers. Church, hear John's words and don't let them just pass you by. When we read God's word, I mean, it is so potent. And, and it's my deep prayer that growingly you are discovering a love for God's Word in its richness. Because we can read words like, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, and we capture that in its quick read, and we just keep moving. Slow down, church. And hear it now with all of what we said under our belt. For many deceivers... Those who deceive and distort the true gospel are not few. They are many. And when John says they've gone out into the world, this is likely a reference to people who at one time looked to have been part of the gospel community, but proved to not be because they didn't hold fast to the truth of God. They embraced heresies. They denied God's truth. They embraced a different gospel. John said it this way in his first letter, 1 John chapter 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all that all are not of us. That they all are not of us. The simple truth is, you are not a true part of Christ's church if you do not belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ in saving faith, then God's word is clear to tell us that we will be faithful and an accountable member of the local church. There is a sobering reality that Scripture highlights often that we must never forget. And that is that there will be some who thought they were of us, but they proved to not be of us. Because they were not saved. They were not belonging to Jesus. Instead, they were against Jesus. They were anti-Christ. Jesus speaks to this reality when he says, in John six sixty six, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples, that, that means those who were actively following, participating, serving, doing all the stuff. 
they weren't just watchers from afar. They were walking among the disciples. They were a part of that local congregation. I share this with you because I want us to see that it's not special or unusual. This happens all the time. People come and go from the church all the time. They try religion, they try Christianity, and in the end prove to not believe in Jesus. Because again, belief into Jesus is not just a mindset of, I believe him to be true. It is truly and fully a trusting of him with all of your life. That means the evidence of that faith at work will honor him. Now, when I say this, it's not trying to be a critique or a judgment, but hopefully as a help to what is actually happening for some. While hearing the truths of the Almighty taught at the local church, enjoying the company of the believers can be a good and enjoyable thing in your life. It's not enough to be a faithful attender, supporter of the local church. You don't attend long enough to get grandfathered in. There are people who think this way. Some of you have struggled to think that way. But this person has been here for so many years. We've done so many campaigns together. It is a stark, it is as stark as day and night. You have died to yourself and trusted Jesus with your life and therefore are a blood-bought part of Christ's church or you're not. If you do not believe in Jesus and trust your life to him, then you are not a part of his church, his bride, his body. You remain the Lord of your own life and your only hope is that God ordains to give you saving faith in Jesus and salvation. That's it. There's nothing in between that you might work up no, no potion or cocktail or recipe that you can figure out. Either it's God's holy work and will to give you true humility and saving faith and and maybe that is very much why you are here, or those that you know are sitting in the seats, are hearing the sermons, are witnessing the gospel witness, because it is God's plan to save them. 
No matter how wretched, nasty, foul their story is, their record is, God is able by the power of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, to save the most wretched sinner. And if maybe that's you, and you're thinking, no, 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 what I've done is too bad, too, too gross, I would just say, you need to hear more of the testimonies of the people sitting around you in this room. Hear all those gentle amens? Either God is at work in your participation to bring you to saving faith, or, or, your participation is reaping and heaping a greater dose of God's eternal wrath on you. For you will be judged, you will be guilty, you will be more guilty because you had a greater view of the truth and did not repent and believe. This is a sad but true reality, and it's happening in many churches today, including ours. Understand, these are people who are like family. We ate with them, served with them, grew with them, and yet they did not trust their lives truly and fully to Christ. Or if they claim they did, their lack of endurance to turn from sin and repent of sin to persevere in faith proved them to have never been one of us. So understand, Scripture doesn't say that those who look to have been one of us and proved to not be lost their salvation. But instead, it says, they reveal to have never been saved. While they might have walked with Jesus' people and made great advances in life for a time, in the end, they proved to be what Scripture calls false disciples. They proved to have what Scripture calls superficial faith. This can be really hard to go through for we who thought this person belonged to Christ, were part of the blood-bought family, and then proved to be against him. Not only against him, but then often going on to promote false teaching, false gospels, looking to create division and slander among the church. Now, to be extra clear here, John is not speaking of people who are in good standing with Christ and His church, but then simply exercise their Christian liberty to move to a different town or to change churches in a God-honoring way that wasn't about unresolved hurt or unneeded division. Maybe there's genuinely good biblical conviction, priorities, practices for the reason why. We're not talking about such people. And, and some of you will fit that description. Right? God's been gracious to us. Most churches have had 
a gross, a, a large exodus for a number of reasons. And by God's providential hand upon this family, we have not. That doesn't mean that isn't coming. There are good god honoring reasons why we might not be together. So when he says they went out from us because they were not of us, that doesn't apply to true Christians who, who moved or left for good reasons, good god honoring reasons, right? We're not talking about that. I've heard Christians use that verse to like say, shame on them. They're, they're not, they went out from us, they're not. It's like, no, no, no that's the wrong. You're, you're not talking about that right. No, these that John is speaking of proved to clearly be against Jesus. They are wanderers. They are antichrist. And this is made clear by the testimony they profess, for they do not just claim slight variation of acceptable theological differences. No, they promote heresy, which is his point in the next part of the verse. Look with me. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Those who denied that Jesus was eternally God the Son who took on flesh, that's heresy. And, and that very thinking that was promoted in this day became these deceivers and Antichrist really became the forerunners of a very dangerous second century heresy known as Gnosticism, which taught that matter was inherently evil and the spirit was good. That was the heresy they taught. The, deceiver, the deceivers in John's day believed or said that if Jesus was God, he could not have taken on human form, for they believed wrongly that that human form was inherently evil. It was this early note of Gnosticism and, and where that would go. And John spent a lot of time in his first letter countering these lies with the truth about Jesus and his incarnation. He took on flesh, conceived in the womb of Mary by the Spirit. No seed of sin was passed. He was without sin, truly and fully. To deny that Jesus is the incarnated Christ is to promote false demon doctrine. It is heresy. What is heresy? A heresy is a false belief or false doctrine that goes against Scripture, usually leading to destruction or damnation. It is a doctrine about a major tenet of the Christian faith that if you get it wrong, you, you get the gospel wrong. You get God wrong. In other words, you can't get it wrong or you believe in something different. This is different than what we would refer to as error. Error is a false belief or doctrine that goes against Scripture, not leading to destruction. Heresy is such an error or an offense to God, it causes someone to believe in another God. Or in another gospel. It's error that means that person is not saved. They do not belong to God. They do not speak the truth. Why is this so important? Why does John circle back to this again and again in the letter? Why is it so important that we identify and avoid and warn of heresies? 
because of the level of their destruction. Because heresy is a matter of life and death. Because you're either promoting life through biblical truth or you're promoting death through man-made heresy. This is why it is damnable and falsehood that leads people to destruction. That leads them to faith in the wrong things. I say all this because the heresy or error of or misbelief that Jesus is not eternally God the Son or that He did not incarnate and fulfill the work of the promised Messiah, that's not just defective theology. That's not tolerable, different theology. It is diabolical theology. It is of the devil. It is deception to promote a different gospel. Church, we are at war. And and part of our job as shepherds is to equip you for the battle you are in. Right? There's that thing in your flesh that goes, Pastor, can we just have some light and fluffy sermons? And, And if that's what we are giving you, it's just cuddly and light and fluffy, then you're not equipped for battle. A battle that you're in. And it's one of the other reasons why we're convicted just to preach God's word faithfully verse by verse is in that, then you don't get to say like, man, you guys are getting off onto some weird stuff. No, no. This is what the Lord has ordained is the focus, is to be taught. And as we see, and as I've shown you already, is to be taught again and again and again and again. You're saying, hey, we just covered this in the first letter, right? But God ordained that it's covered again in the second letter. Therefore, we need it. He's blessing us. He's loving us, right? We're at war. And our enemy, Satan, doesn't want people to repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. His aim is to convince them to trust in lies and to feel good about it. To believe in false teachings. To somehow formulate Belief systems by which they say, no, no, I'm good. I I figured this out. I'm good with God. I've got my plan. I'm living my days. Right? All the way to damnation. The enemy wants to distort the true teachings of the true gospel to divert people away from the only one who saves people from their sin unto eternal life. That is Jesus Christ. This is plainly said by Jesus himself. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In light of how serious this error was, John warns his hearers in verse 8. Look with me as we move to the next verse. 2 John 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. John says, watch yourselves. Church, this is no small warning. And one of the reasons why we know that again is because we see it again and again and again in Holy Scripture. Uh, Let me just give you a quick taste of a few. Jesus warned His beloved to be on guard. Mark 13 22 through 23, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. 
I have told you all these things beforehand. Be on guard. Watch yourselves. Peter also called for great watchfulness. In the famous 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded. We can't afford to get casual, to drink too much, to get saturated with the world and its stuff. We need to be sober-minded. Why? Because even though you are enjoying the relaxation of your recliner, you are in the middle of a deadly war. Please, hear hear the heart of a shepherd who loves you. You need to be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Paul uses the words, keep alert, and then says how one does this by remaining prayerful. Ephesians 6.18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Not keep alert between 6 and 8 p.m. With all perseverance. Consistently making supplication for all the saints. He says keep alert. And then he says how we keep alert. By remaining prayerful. By walking and talking with God. Why is there such a consistent charge by Jesus and the apostles to be watchful? Because this is not our home. We're in a foreign land. We're sojourners in the here and now. Because the church is always threatened. We need to be praying. Are you praying for each other throughout the week? Are you praying over your children before they sleep? You're praying for your shepherds on Saturday night to be ready for Sunday. Are you praying as you wake on Sunday morning and drive to the church house, recognizing today very likely is a day where the deceivers, the Antichrist, and those who pray on God's people will come? The church is always threatened. I don't say all that so that we live in fear. We are to fear nothing but the Lord. I say all that so that we are on guard, alert, and watching ourselves. Because until he calls us home, there's no going to the tent while other people fight. We're in it, day and night. This is real. Satan doesn't take vacations. Sin lurks at the door waiting for that moment of doctrinal or moral carelessness. Sometimes maybe you felt like, man, I feel like my brothers and sisters and my shepherds here maybe are just 
a little too persistent, kind of just always riding me. That is not because we're trying to win some like bigger score. It is because it's in those stretches where you think you're doing good and you're kind of getting a little careless and you're getting a little lax and you're starting to make a little compromise that we love you enough to warn you. Hey, draw back away from that ledge. Mind that blind corner. Right? Let's be watchful, diligent, persevering, faithful. This is why the elders are charged with a high priority of watchfulness for the sake of the sheep. Acts 20, 28-31. Keep watch, there it is again, over yourselves. We are to watch for ourselves. We pray for us elders that we would do that. Pray for our group leaders that we would do that well. That we not grow casual. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock. Even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. There it is again. Remember, for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. If you feel like if you feel like this drum I'm beating is a little too hard or consistent, I don't know. Maybe I'm not beating it hard enough because I'm not crying yet. Right? When I'm calling you in tears, then you know we're getting close. We're just warming up. Right? <laughs> Verse 28, keep watch. Verse 31, be on guard. The charge to the elders begins and ends with watchfulness. The elders must be alert, awake, eyes open, watchful. Parents, this applies to you. And the God-appointed assignment He's given you to, to love and lead your children. Because it's not just watching for robbers with ski masks or perverts with candy. It's watching all the little ways, the little tiniest ways the enemy whispers in the ear of your children through media, smartphones, video games, TV, commercials, Music, sports, movies, friends, and on and on and on. Christians, the, John's charge here to the beloved is to watch yourselves. This is for each of us who've been saved and set apart for Christ. This is, if this is true of you, that you are saved and set apart for Christ, then realize, realize, realize you've been marked as belonging to Jesus. If you were obedient to God after your saving faith, you went on a public campaign. Do you realize that? To tell the world, I belong to Jesus. Do you remember that? It's called your baptism. You went on the record. 
God saved me. I belong to him. I will be faithful to him no matter what you bring. That means there's no, it's no secret as to whom you belong, to whom you belong, where your allegiances are. If you are bold in your faith and gospel testimony and in your biblical convictions, as Scripture calls us to be church, then you are a target for the enemy, for the deceivers, for the Antichrist. Brother, sister, you must be watchful. You must be alert. You cannot afford to walk casually in this sin-drenched, Satan-influenced world. One of the biggest ways we must watch ourselves is with God's Word. We are at war, and this is our weapon. This is our sword. Christian, do you even know where your sword is? Some of you are so unfamiliar with this. You don't even know where it is. Its pages are still crisp. Even though you bought it eight years ago. No, we must be familiar with it. We must train with it. The sword of the Spirit is powerful. It's authoritative. It's impactful. It's far-reaching. And this is how we combat the deceivers, the heretics, and those who are anti-Christ. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of every heart. That's a pretty rad sword. Right? You're looking at a display of swords and that sword can do all that? I picked that one. And that's true of this. So it's fun and we giggle. But do you get it? Only with the Word of God does the Christian become wiser than our spiritual enemies, Scripture says. Psalm 119.98 Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. To become handy with the sword of the Spirit, we need to become studied in the Word of God, or as the psalmist says, we need to store up God's Word in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 I love what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in or labor in vain. Philippians 2, 14-16. Holding fast to the word of life. As we translate that, That word where we get our English word, holding fast, it means to hold your position, to hold your gaze, to be fixed. That's watchfulness at its best. Because the watchfulness we're talking about is not just watching for enemies. Right? 
What good is your watching for enemies if they come pounding on your door and you don't know what to do with them? I saw you coming, but I don't know what to say, so come on in. Right? Their watchfulness is here. This This is the best part of our watchfulness. Right? It's not just watchful for the enemy in a defensive way. It's watchful and mindful on the truths of God in an offensive way to fuel us, to keep us on track and away from error. 1 Timothy 4.16 says it this way, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Acts 3.5 says it this way, He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The idea of holding fast with your attention or with your person, holding your position on the word of life, not leaving the word of life, staying fixed on it, giving yourself to it, trusting it, Hold fast to the Word daily, putting it deep in the soil of your heart so that your roots are being nourished and deepened and they're growing and they're secure and fixed in the truths of God. So that then when the wind blows and the storms rage and the heresies proclaimed, you will stand fast in the truth. Because that's coming. We have too many faithful examples before us in Scripture of those who just went through it. It's coming. It's coming to you. It's coming to your household. Are you personally fixed in the Lord? So that even your favorite, best, what feels like most secure parts of your life, if they abandon you, leave you, are killed, get sick and die, cheat on you, hurt you, that you remain faithful and are not undone. Church, God's word in our heart, in our mind, in our mouths is a sword. The question is, are you wielding the sword? Or are you guilty of consistently leaving it at home or spending very little time with it? Christian, you should not attempt to walk through this devil rule world without your sword. God has blessed us with his written word. But are you training with it? So you're ready to wield it when needed. I pray you are. Look with me at the second part of verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. The first part of verse 8 John says we need to watch ourselves so that we don't lose what we've worked for. And then he goes on to talk about rewards. So let, us, let me quickly help us see this, um, what this is not talking about, and then what it is talking about. So, we who belong to Christ cannot lose our salvation or be lost. Scripture is clear to teach this. Scripture is clear that our salvation, our saving faith, is a gift from God It's not something we earn or work for. So when he says what we've worked for, he's not talking about salvation. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Scripture is clear that the truly saved cannot lose their salvation or be taken away. Those whom God chose before time, he saves, he protects, and he keeps to the end. 
I like to say God doesn't have like a 450 batting average. Or, you know, you know, I lost that one. That's not how he works. He's perfect. Paul outlined the process of God's work in election, giving new birth, salvation, justification, glorification so well. Romans 8.30 These whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. The slaves of sin who he rescued from bondage and purchased for himself are and will remain secure and protected in his household forever. That's the teachings of Holy Scripture. Church, if you are truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. If you were taught that you can lose your salvation somewhere along the way, you were taught wrong. I'm sorry. That is not what God's Word teaches. Hear Jesus' words. Let them be a firm rock under your feet. John 10, 27-29, He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It doesn't say except for those couple people who decided it wasn't for them. Jesus' blood is big enough and complete enough to cover all our sin. There is nothing we can do or will to get out from underneath the saving grace and enduring protection of God. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is one of the most precious truths in Holy Scriptures for born-again Christians. It is a great comfort to know and to rest in the truth that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Philippians 1.6 Before I move on, we must never forget who empowers our faith. It is God. We're dependent on Him. 1 Peter 1.5 We, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there is an enduring, a perseverance, a standing through the trial that God does in all of His redeemed. This security doesn't mean there will be no battle, though, for us. It doesn't mean that. We will struggle. Right? We will languish. We, we will fall into sin. But He protects our eternal standing with infallible precision and omnipotent power. Therefore, we who believe when we sin, when we struggle, we will repent of that sin. We will continue in faith. God is the one who inspires, nourishes, strengthens, and endures our faith, if indeed that faith is true and not superficial. Christian, God is the power behind our faith and in the finishing of our faith. Praise God for this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen? The founder and the perfecter of our faith. So, we who belong to Christ cannot be lost. So that is not what John is referring to here when he says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. 
What scripture often does say is that we should work hard to protect or keep or not lose what we have. How do we understand this language and not hear it as a contradiction to the perseverance of the saints? Listen to the words of Paul. Let me give you a couple other places where this kind of language is used. Popular places. And you will see this is a good and regular way the Lord loves us to speak. Ephesians 4, 1-3 Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Or he says in Philippians 12, 2, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Scripture teaches us in all these places that there is a living, a walking, a working, a maintaining that we do that is the stewardship of our faith and gospel testimony. It is our response to the Lord's work and will in our lives. Understand, while it is God-empowered, it is still us who's doing it. There is a progressive nature to our sanctification, our becoming more like Christ, our becoming more holy. And so John is simply saying, watch yourselves so that you do not lose the progress you've made in your faith. Not that you would lose your faith. He expands further in what he says next. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. The Scriptures are clear that we who belong to Christ, can store up treasures in heaven that will be rewarded to us for what we did with our lives after salvation. What, what we did with the gospel. Consider with me a few places we see this in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew 6, 19-21 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust, moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Matthew 29, 19 Everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. The Scriptures speak of an eternal bank account, so to speak, and eternal prizes and rewards that those who are good stewards of our salvation, of the gospel, will be given to enjoy forever. There are so many reasons to watch ourselves, to be disciplined, to be on guard. For we are at war against potent and crafty deceivers, but also because we labor for the eternity that is to come with our good God. Amen? Don't throw that away, he's saying. Hebrews 13, 14, we have no lasting city here. We seek the city that is to come. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Praise God. 
Please understand that our lasting weight of glory and joy is found in the Lord Himself and not in streets of gold, being reunited with our relatives or, or any other blessing in the new creation. The ultimate prize is the Lord Himself. <clears throat> we must not reduce God to be a key that unlocks a treasure chest of gold and silver. That's idolatry. The Bible says the Almighty Himself will be our treasure. He will be our precious silver. The new creation's prize is much bigger than mountain views, streets of gold, amazing food and drink, fellowship with loved ones. All of this will be a wonderful part of eternity, and it's worth investing in. It's worth working hard for the rewards of our eternity, but we must never forget the ultimate prize is Jesus. The presence of the Holy Lord will be like a radiant light, not just so to our eyes, but to our souls. It will cause us to overflow in uninhibited worship. Amen? There's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. I pray you know that. I pray you know Him. While there are many eternal rewards to earn and look forward to, He is the greatest reward of them all. Eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's stand and pray and worship Him as we celebrate this great truth. Father in heaven, we we praise You. Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for your warnings. We thank you for your word. The faithfulness of the authors to write what you inspired for us to have and to know. We're thankful for the ways this word went to work in our brothers and sisters in that day when it was written and how it continues to go go to work in us today. It is truly a joy to be saved and set free, to know and belong to the blood-bought family of Christ. For those that are still watchers, onlookers, attendees who are not saved, do your work to save them, Lord to break open their hearts with humility and love for Jesus. And for your redeemed, Lord, help us to truly be diligent in our watching, in our being alert, in our persevering. So we don't throw away the progress we're making. So we don't belittle these opportunities to steward these things. We want to steward them well for your glory. We want to be faithful to the things that you've put before us. To earn those rewards that you are preparing, you enjoy them forever, but ultimately, Lord, to know and enjoy you forever. There is nothing better than you. Do your work in us. 
Hear us as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.